Welcome to part two. This is still continuing on with waves. Um, if you remember from the first part, we started talking about different types, as in, you know, to do with light and sound, um, waves, and even some heat stuff in there as well. There was conduction, convection, radiation. Um, so if you want to refresh that stuff, or if you've, you know, ended up here before there, um, you can always go back to that episode and then you can listen to that. And there'll be plenty of good stuff for you, and it'll definitely help you out going forward. Um, but in this particular episode, in part two, um, yeah, we're going to look at types of waves because there's more than one type and how that affects light and sound, um, specifically. So yeah, so let's just jump right in. Um, so like I said in the previous episode, waves are carriers of energy that transfer or propagate. So we've got to make sure we're using those science words because propagate is just a fancy word to say it's being moved. Um, so yeah, they're carriers of energy that transfer heat, light, and sound energy. Sound and light specifically travel as waves and it's those waves that transfer that energy. Um, yeah, although the way that it's worded in a lot of textbooks and where you might read online um, you know, there, there's pretty much very little distinction between, you know, are, are they separate? You know, is the, can you have that energy without the wave? That sort of thing. Um, but yeah, but the waves pretty much transfer that energy. So that type of energy, whether it's sound, light, heat, whatever, it's pretty much not going to move from one place to another without, you know, waves actually moving it. So yeah, um, anyway, so now let's just use an example to try and illustrate waves. Um, so think about a stone that you've dropped in some water, um, and when you see those ripples moving out from that spot where the stone was actually dropped into the water, um, and those ripples that, you know, go out from that spot where it entered the water, those are the waves. And so those waves, when they're moving out, they're moving up and down. I mean, obviously you can't see it, you know, regardless of whether you're above the water or maybe you'd get a different perspective below it, but the actual motion of the waves is up and down. Like the science, sort of science word, if you like, that's used for that is that they're oscillating. So it's important to use these terms because... Um, if they come up, then you'll know what they mean. And then you won't have to, you know, then take some time out to think, well, I don't understand this sentence because I don't understand what this word necessarily means, but yeah. So oscillating is, it's just a fancy word to say that it's moving up and down. Um, and so that energy is being carried by those waves. Waves aren't moving, energy isn't moving, at least in in this case. Um, so to use pretty much a similar example, same sort of example, but to maybe, I don't know, give you a different perspective on it. Um, so think about if you've ever gone to a beach, because I'm sure 
everyone has at some point. I mean, if you haven't, then it might be a little bit difficult for you to understand using this example, but I'd, I'd, I'd say that a lot of people have probably been to a beach because um, it's just a great day out. Um, so yeah, so and you see those waves that are at a beach. Um, you know, the type that people will either catch when they're body surfing or they're actually like surfing using a board or they're just out there because, you know, they want to cool down or whatever. So those waves, think about those waves for a moment. Um, and so those waves work in the same way in that they are transferring energy. They're carrying that energy. Um, and so, you know, whether you're surfing or body surfing, um, that's how you actually get pushed along because, you know, that, that energy that's, that's moving with the wave, you know, obviously if you catch it, because there've probably been plenty of times when you've like me have tried to catch a wave and you haven't gotten it because you're not in the right position or whatever else. Um, yeah, you don't get pushed along. Like it doesn't carry you along with it. Um, so yeah, so it's that energy that's pushing you. Um, so yeah, so in that way, waves travel and transfer energy um, of different types with them, depending on where they are, what type of energy it is, um, what type of wave it is as well. Um, so yeah. Um, so yes, waves carry the energy with them. Um, no waves, no movement of energy. Um, so now that we've covered that, and hopefully that made some sense to you, um, we're going to look at the types of waves. Because as I said before, there's more than one type of wave and different types of energy move with different types of waves. So they don't all move using the same type of wave. Um, so that's why we're making that distinction now. Um, so going back to that example about the stone in the water or when you're at the beach, um, that's the first type of wave that we'll look at. And that is known as a transverse wave. So it's kind of that up and down one. Um, but if you want, you know, a visual representation of what that looks like, you can always type in transverse wave into Google images. Um, so that's T-R-A-N-S-V-E-R-S-E. -S -E. So that's transverse. Um, so yeah, and then you can get a representation of one, or if you can picture a wave from a beach, um, you know, that's a, that's a, a great example as well. Um, but if you've got a slinky, <laughs> they're actually something that's really good because you can demonstrate what a transverse wave is by, you know, laying the slinky out flat and then moving it side to side. And then it will, you know, it'll demonstrate um, what a transverse wave looks like. Um, so some key things to point out about transverse waves, so about that type of wave, is that that wave moves, oscillates, uh, remember, up and down. So that's the motion of the wave. It's the motion of the wave that's moving up and down. Now I'm specifically pointing that out because in this type of wave, the energy that gets moved doesn't move in this in the same direction as the wave is. 
So that sounds like a bit of a weird thing because you're like, okay, if the wave's moving this way, why is the energy not going with it? Um, but, you know, hopefully we're going to clear that up in this next little bit now. Um, so yeah, so that type of wave, its motion is up and down, as in the wave itself is moving up and down. Um, but the energy of that wave, it isn't moving up and down with the wave. The energy is moving at a 90 degree angle to that wave. So, to try and hopefully clear up the confusion if you're thinking, okay, that still doesn't make sense to me. Um, so think about those waves that are at a beach. You know, picture one. And I'm sure you can picture one that's, you know, it's, it's moving from the ocean toward the shore. Now, that wave is it's oscillating. As it's moving along towards the shore, it's moving up and down. You know, which is why, you know, you can see them get bigger and smaller and whatever else. Um, so, yeah. But, as it's moving up and down and it's traveling toward the shore, it's that energy that's being pushed along, that's being pushed toward the shore and the energy that's carrying the wave that way. But the actual wave itself, you know, that, that bump, if you like, the bump is actually moving up and down, which is why, you know, it's not just, it's not just flat water that's traveling from the ocean to the shore. Because if it wasn't moving up and down, you wouldn't have that bump that, you know, surfers could catch. Um, so the energy is moving at a 90 degree angle to the actual wave itself. And so if you actually catch that wave, that's the energy that's pushing you toward the shore. So a different way of thinking about it is if you've got, if you've looked it up on Google images and you've got a picture of a transverse wave in front of you, or if you just, you know, you have a good imagination, you can picture it in your head right now. So if you've got that side on view of a wave, so you've got that bump. So if you had an arrow pointing up to the sky, and then if you had one pointing down toward the seafloor, that's the motion of the wave. The motion of the wave is going up and down. But then if you put another arrow on that diagram and you had it pointing, you know, toward the shore, so say if the shore is to the left and you've got an arrow that's pointing to the left, that arrow is at 90 degrees to that arrow that's pointing up and it's also at 90 degrees to the arrow that's pointing down. So the arrows that are pointing up and down are the motion of the wave and the arrow that's pointing to the left at 90 degrees to those first two arrows is um, the direction that the energy is traveling in. So it's almost like you've got this bump that's pushing this energy along, although it's literally carrying it with it. And this is the confusing part especially if you're just listening to this and you're not actually looking at a diagram about transverse waves because the thing that people 
often struggle with is trying to separate this idea of well, the, the the motion of the wave is from left to right. It's going from the ocean to the shore. Surely that's the motion of the wave. Um, but with transverse waves, it's not actually the motion of the wave. As, as hard as that is to wrap your head around. Because when they're actually traveling, like if you just took one, if you took one particle out of that, you know, body of water, and you wanted to, to trace its path and you started off in that flat section of the ocean and then you went, oh, here's the bump. It would actually travel up that bump right to the top and then it would travel down it. So that's where the whole up and down motion comes from. But it's traveling from left to right. So the energy is what takes it um, from you know, left to right or right to left, whichever direction you're going in. Um, and so that's the, so the energy takes it along its path, but when it goes up to the top of the wave and then comes down, that's the actual motion of the wave. So that's, um, that's what that is. The whole idea is that the wave itself goes up and down, but the energy, you know, goes from, right to left, or if your shore is on the other way, left to right. Um, but trust me, it'll make a heck of a lot more sense if you look at the actual diagram. If you type in transverse wave into Google images and see it, it will make a lot more sense. Um, so you might be thinking now, or maybe you're not thinking it now when I've just accidentally planted that idea. Um, so if you've gone to an amusement park, one that has like a wave pool and you're thinking, how come those waves just bob me up and down? They don't really push me toward the shore like regular waves do, you know, isn't, isn't that what they're designed to do? I mean, if it's a wave pool, surely it's supposed to simulate, um, what actual waves do. Um, and, and they, they largely do because that's why they come out in a similar sort of shape and whatever else. Um, but in some wave pools, and notice how I said some, not all, you can get them to act like regular waves, like they're like they're an actual beach, because there's an artificial beach in Japan where they do that, and there's even wave pools around the world where people actually like, you know, they have a board and they can actually surf on those waves, and they act like real waves. But in some wave pools, because of, you know, different factors like the angle at which, you know, the machine is generating these waves. Um, plus, if they, if it's, you know, if, if it's an enclosed space and they're bouncing off walls and you can have multiple waves because it just keeps shooting out this energy to generate these waves and they can bump into each other and then you get all these weird shaped waves and at some points it'll go up higher and you know, then other times... Um, because they're all bumping into each other and canceling each other out. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why they're harder to catch and they don't 100% act like regular waves. Um, and because of that, they can act a lot like, um, the other type of wave that we're going to talk about, a compression wave, or as it's sometimes known, a longitudinal wave. Um, which we'll get to in a moment. 
So, which is, and because of those different factors, that's why they'll act more like a compression wave as opposed to, you know, a, a transverse wave. Um, now, a couple of things that I want to point out about transverse waves just before, um, you know, we move on to compression waves um, is if you've got that diagram in front of you, like you've searched it up so you can make more sense of this, um, there's a you'll, you'll be able to see these parts on here as I point them out. Um, but if you don't have that in front of you, or if you're going to, you know, get it up later or whatever, um, then I'll try and do my best to explain it to you right now. But, um, but yeah, obviously like getting that diagram will make life a lot easier. Um, so picture a beach wave again, just one, one of those, you know, bumps of a various size. So, um, the distance from from where the water is flat in front of the wave behind the wave so from that flat water that's not you know that's not part of the bump that's not part of the wave from that part in a straight line right up to the top of the wave now i don't mean a diagonal line directly from that point directly to the top of the wave i mean from that point that you've taken right up to the imaginary point directly above it um, where the top of the wave would hit if it went through there. So it's kind of like you're measuring the height of the wave because that's literally what we're doing. We're measuring the height. So if you were measuring yourself, like your own height, you'd stand up against a wall and you'd have someone mark the section off there and you'd get a ruler and you'd put it flat there and you'd, you'd measure the height and it's a straight line similar sort of concept with waves. And so again, that's known as the height of the wave, but the specific term that they use is the amplitude. So A M P L I T U D E amplitude of the wave. So again, fancy science word for the height of the wave. Um, and so that's one of the key terms. So now the second one, is so you've got your one wave we've looked at the amplitude now if you get a second wave and you put that one behind the first wave and not directly so they're touching like have some distance between the two of them now if you measure the distance from the very top of the first wave to the very top of the second wave that distance between the two waves is called the wave length um, and that's a key term because we use that um, because like with your uh, mobile phones, cell phones, TVs, basically anything that sends out some sort of signal and uses waves, um, they will happen at different, different waves will have different wavelengths. If in episode one, you actually went and looked up the electromagnetic spectrum diagram in Google Images, you will have seen that there would have been a whole bunch of numbers on that diagram. And I mean, you can always go and look one up right now. And it'll have on there the different wavelengths because different, different um, 
waves that are generated have different lengths. It's one of the key things that separates them. So radio waves have really long waves. Like I'm talking like traditional radio, not internet radio, traditional radio. Um, they have really long waves. And then, you know, the, those wavelengths will be different to the ultraviolet waves that come from the sun or from microwaves, you know, that you might heat up some food with. Um, and even, you know, even x-rays, you know, if you get in an x-ray because you've got a broken bone. Um, so that's, that's why we bother about wavelengths. And there's other things that we're going to talk about in regards to all of that in a future episode, but it's just key to point that out now. Um, and another cool thing about wavelengths is that different wavelengths correspond to different colors. So when you can even look around your room or wherever you are right now, and you can see different things of different colors, um, and those different colors are at different wavelengths. They absorb different wavelengths of light. And it's why, you know, you'll see something as red or as blue or as orange or green or yellow or whatever color you're seeing it in. So, you know, very cool to point that out. Um, so I think that one, I think wavelength, that one's a lot easier to explain without the use of a diagram than amplitude. Um, and then just a, you know, a couple of other things, cause they'll probably be on some diagrams is the very top of a wave is known as the peak and the very bottom of a wave. So right, you know, just in front of the wave or behind the wave is known as a trough because it's, you know, that's, that's the bottom. Um, excuse me. Anyway, enough of transverse, enough of transverse waves. Um, but remember, if you need to re-listen to any part to help you understand, because you didn't quite get it the first time in this episode or anything in the previous episode, I encourage you to do that. Um, so, yeah, so now we're going to move on to the next wave. So a lot of waves transfer energy in the form of transverse waves, but not sound. Sound energy is carried by compression waves which, um, as I mentioned earlier, are also known as longitudinal waves. So compression or longitudinal. So L-O-N-G-I-T-U-D-I-N-A-L. The reason that I'm pointing that out is because some textbooks, places on the internet, will use different terms. I mean, a lot of them will use both of them, but sometimes they'll use them interchangeably and they won't tell you. And if you're reading along, then you might think, hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought I was talking about this type of wave. And now you're telling me about this type of wave. No. Compression, longitudinal, they're the same thing. It's just a different term. Um, so yeah, so sound energy is carried by those types of waves. And that is because sound itself whether it's me talking now in this podcast or making any sort of other noise is created by fast back and forth motions called vibrations. So think about any situation that you can make sound in, although using, you know, musical instruments is a pretty good one. So let's say you're playing a drum or if you're like me and have absolutely no musical talent at all, you're playing the triangle because you know, just 
performing arts, Kappa, all of that just isn't your thing. Um, but if it is, great. Maybe you'll have a greater understanding of this than those that aren't musically inclined. Um, so each time you hit the triangle, you create a sound. And obviously, the harder you hit it, the more likely you are to create a louder sound. I say more likely because, you know, you could have every intention of hitting it harder and you could miss and maybe only just get it. And then, therefore, you know, you've wasted a lot of energy in only just getting it. Anyway, um, so the air particles around the instrument, when you've hit it, and I'm talking about like the air particles that are right next to it, not on the other side of the room, right next to it. Um, they get pushed together, and then just as quickly as they're pushed together, they then spread apart. It's kind of like... It's kind of like when, if you if you really pulled an elastic band really quickly and then let it go just as quickly, you know, it's it's that real fast back and forth motion. Um, so the energy from the vibrating instruments, the instrument that you've just struck, whether it's a triangle or a drum, um, or even if you're plucking a string, for example, on a guitar or something. Um, so the energy from the vibrating instrument gets transferred to those air particles around it which then cause them to, the air particles that is, to vibrate just as fast as the instrument. And so now those particles are vibrating um, and then they bump into other air particles that are near them but are further away from the instrument. Um, and so then they transfer energy to those air particles and then that continues on. So then those particles bump into other particles and those ones bump into other particles and so on and so on. Um, and yeah, and then eventually, you know, the sound spreads out. You know, which is why, like if someone's performing, you can hear, like it's a live performance, like a busker, for example, you know, someone further away can still obviously hear the sound just as much as someone who's closer can hear the sound. Although obviously the person that's closer will hear the sound, you know, louder than the person further away. Um, so yeah, so that energy will, gra will gradually spread out. And again, depending on how loud the, the actual sound was, so how much energy was actually put into creating that sound, will determine um, how far the sound actually spreads out. And obviously, therefore, how far away someone could be and still hear the sound because as you've probably noticed like if a car like drives past you like you know if you're thinking like one of those emergency vehicles um you know as they get further away you hear the sirens less and less because they're further away from you so the energy that they're still giving off is still the same but because they're further away from you um there won't be as much energy um, still left to actually reach you. And so obviously the further away it gets, and eventually it'll get to a point where you don't hear it because the energy that's being given off, it will only spread out to a certain point until that energy runs out and then you won't be able to hear it. So obviously the louder the sound, the further away you are going to be able to hear it because it has more energy. Therefore, it can spread out that energy to other particles and more particles further away. Um, so yeah.
the louder the sound, the more energy it has, and the further away that you can actually hear it, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. Um, so now, I'm going to throw some terms at you, just like we did with transverse waves, but for compression waves. Um, so again, these are parts of a compression or longitudinal wave. Um, so if you want to actually see what it looks like, I would actually recommend typing in longitudinal wave diagram into Google image search and you can actually see one. Although the way that they're drawn, this is the thing that I don't like about these types of waves because there's a diagram which has, there's, there's these diagrams which has all these little dots. Um, and you know, they've got a whole bunch of dots together and a whole bunch of dots spread apart. Um, and those are probably the better diagrams because the other ones kind of look like they've drawn transverse waves. And, you know, that, that kind of confuses you because it looks like transverse waves and we're not talking about transverse waves. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, so those areas where the air particles are really, really close together, those are what are called, those are called compressions because the particles are compressed. They're all squished into this space. And then when they spread out, so, you know, there's more room and there's the area still has a lot of particles in it, but they're more spread out between those. And those areas where they're all spread out are between those areas of compression. So you've got like an area of compression, an area that's spread out, then another area of compression, and then an area that it's spread out. And that's how it travels because when the sound travels along it compresses then spreads out and compresses again and spreads out as it's moving away from the initial source of the sound um and so anyway so the areas where the particles are close together they're called compressions but the areas where they're you know they're spread out more they're called rarefactions as in you know r-a-r-e-f-a-c-t-i-o-n rarefactions um, I don't know who came up with that name, but it's it's pretty specific. You're not gonna, really going to mix that up with anything else, um, which I suppose is kind of the point, maybe. Um, so yeah, particles really close together, compressions further apart, refractions. Um, so yeah, but you have to type in longitudinal wave diagram to get like the better ones, because you could type in sound wave diagram and it would still largely get you to the point, but there's too many of those ones that look like transverse waves. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, so now, now that we've talked about both types, let's talk about some of the differences between the two of them. So aside from the, the fact that they're named differently, um, one key difference is the motion of the wave. So from earlier in the episode, you recall that transverse waves move up and down and the energy that they bring along moves 90 degrees. So right to left, left to right. Motion is up and down, energy is left to right for transverse waves. Um, but for longitudinal, so compression waves, um, they travel left to right and the energy goes in the same direction that they travel in. So they travel, you know, left to right, that's their motion, and the energy goes in the same direction, or 
what it's referred to in textbooks and on the internet is it travels parallel um, to the direction that the wave travels in. So, um, yeah, so transverse waves, the motion is up and down and the energy travels in a 90 degree direction from that motion, so left to right. Longitudinal waves or compression waves, they travel left to right and the energy travels in the same direction that they go in, so left to right as well. Um, so that's a big, big difference um, between the two. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, if you've ever been at a shopping mall and you'll see like a parent and they'll have this kid that's like having a tantrum <laughs> and is getting upset and the parent's basically pulling this child along in the direction that the parent wants to go in. And then the child is like trying to pull itself in a different direction. Um, you know, that kind of reminds me a bit of transverse waves because you know the child is going in a different direction to the, um, you know, the direction that the parent's going in. Um, same sort of idea for um, transverse waves because the energy goes in a different direction to the um, wave itself. Um, and now just a couple of other quick things to, to point out to finish up because I realized that I'm starting to run a little bit over time here. Um, and I'm pointing these out about light and sound waves specifically. So light waves do not... They don't require a medium to travel through. So they don't require something to travel through. They don't need air. They don't need water. They don't need some sort of liquid or solid to travel through. Um, and so because of that, that's how light is able to actually travel through all of that empty space to get from the sun to us here on earth. Because there's, there's no, there's nothing in space. I mean, you've got all the planets and you've got meteorites and comets and, and stars and stuff, but, you know, other than the spaces that those things occupy, there's nothing. There's no air, there's there's nothing. It's just black. You know, there's, there's, there's no real light um, or anything. But light can still travel. It doesn't need something to move through in order to actually move from place to place. Whereas this is different from sound because sound actually needs something to move through, whether it's a solid, a liquid, or a gas, sound actually needs something for it to travel through in order to move from place to place. Because if there's nothing for sound to travel through, it won't move, uh, as in you won't hear anything because there's nothing to help transmit that sound. And there's actually a great experiment that you can actually observe this. I'm sure someone's probably filmed it and put it up on the YouTube um, where there's, um, it's called a bell jar experiment. Like it's literally this big jar that looks like a bell, like this glass bell. Um, and basically what you do is you can put like a mobile phone or a cell phone in there. And, um, and first of all, you have someone ring it. Um, and then, you know, so then you can, you can still clearly hear their embarrassing ringtone or if they've just got one of those stock ringtones because they're, you know, they're, but they're boring that way and they don't want to change it on their Nokia. Um, see how I didn't use one of the big brands there. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And because there's still air in that jar and so there's still something for the sound to travel through. That's why you can, 
you can hear their ringtone. But as part of this experiment, there's actually some tubing there where you can actually like turn on this vacuum and suck and this pump and suck out all the air. So there's no air in there anymore. And then you can ring that person's phone and you'll still be able to ring their phone. You'll still see the screen light up and, and do all that sort of stuff, but then you won't be able to actually hear the ringtone because there's not, there's nothing for the sound to travel through because there's literally no air particles in there. Um, and so basically no particles equals no sound because there's no, there's nothing for sound to move through. Um, because as I'm talking now, it, it's moving through the air to the microphone and which is being captured and recorded. Um, but you can also do, you can also use this experiment to show the distinction between sound waves and light waves. Cause you can get one of those, one of those laser pointers and you can actually, you know, you can, you can point it at, you know, you can shine it, shoot it at the, at the jar, um, when the air is still in there and you can see, okay, the laser just goes right through the light just from the laser goes right through and then you can suck all the air out and you can do it again and you can point the, the laser and you can, you know, shine the light at the jar and it'll still go through because light doesn't need anything to travel through. It'll just, it'll just travel. Um, regardless of whether there's a medium there or not. Um, so yeah. So again, those are some important properties to point out about sound and light waves and about the types of waves in general. So I hope that you've gained something from this, that you've learned something from this. Um, yeah, because the next time, um, We'll talk about frequency, we'll talk about speed of sound, you know, we may even get onto ears and how, you know, they relate into all of this, because obviously that's important. Um, yeah, and I mean, like how some of these devices all relate in there, because we'll get to talk about wavelength as well as frequency, because it's um, the, the actual amount of frequency of, you know, waves being transmitted at least in the older TVs, um, you know, affected the, the quality of picture on your screen. Um, so we're definitely going to talk about all of those things, but I think that will, will do it for now. Um, so thank you for listening and stay tuned for another episode.